This extended conversation comes to you from the Hear Me Now podcast. Hi, my name's Scott Acord, and I'm here with my longtime friend, Marty. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Scotty. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for asking. I was thinking about this the other night. We have known each other now for 29 years, since we were babies. <laughs> I'd say, it's funny, it was just five years. We were just five years. <laughs> um, I think it's actually 30, because Jules turned pr- probably around 30 this month. I came back to work a few months after she was born, and it had gone around the office that I had a daughter with disabilities. And you and I were friendly, but we worked in different departments. We we knew each other casually. But I remember you coming into my office and saying, I heard about what's going on. I don't know how to help or what to say, but I want to. And I think that was the start of our really close friendship because I lost a lot of friends when Julia was born. People didn't know how to react. Yeah. Our family members distanced themselves too. So that was really special. And for 30 years, you've always shown up for us. Well, I mean, I've I love you guys. We love you. I think when if we when if we look back on the early days when you and I were were originally working together, it was uh, another friend um, <laughs> who worked with me. I'll mention her name. I don't think she would care. Uh, yep. Judy Ann, and yes. I think I'm pretty sure it was her idea to do the flyers, the Tequila J series. The, Tequila J series and she, did and she give uh, Julia that nickname Tequila J? Uh, yeah, it came out because this was before Photoshop. So Julia got superimposed into pictures in the press as partying on a yacht with Clinton. She was part of the real world cast the first year. <laughs> yeah, I re- yeah, I mean that was yeah was something yeah Judy Ann and I would do, and it was so much fun. I have a bunch of them still. Yeah, that was kind of my introduction to you, and that's when we really began to bond, I think, was was through that. It gave me, I probably gave me an, an entry point to our friendship where it, it wasn't scary to me that, you know, that it was something you had to face because we, we looked at it as she was the coolest kid ever. Yeah. You know? It, it, well, it really helped, and I think being able to laugh and have a group of friends that are accepting and you know, inclusive makes a world of difference and made it much, you know, it brought joy and, uh, uh, you know, some light into otherwise could seem very dark situation. But that was, that was a wonderful time. But then, you know, your credit, you've shown up for me through my illnesses too. You know, you're just a very good person. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, well, thank you, by the way. And you've always been there for me. It's, uh, I care. So I, I care. You know, I mean, friends do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Can you, you know, for the listeners here, can you just give a little bit of background on uh, Julia? Sure. Um, Julia was born a little early. She was a little small. Her Apgar scores weren't good, but nobody really knew what was wrong. And then on the fourth day, she developed uh, a very peculiar rash, and we took her back to the hospital where she was born, where it took a couple of weeks to diagnose her. Um, But they discovered she had a very rare genetic disorder, and it's called an orphan's disease. And um, that means there's less than 10,000 a year that are documented. But the the type of disorder Julia has is um, 
it can it's varied so people can have it and have a missing tooth maybe a missing wisdom tooth or a bald spot on their scalp and that's the only problem that they have but uh, the hair the brains the skin the nails the bone and the teeth all sort of come from one cell originally so one of those can be bothered or all of them can and in Julia's case all of them just didn't form properly um, so after we discovered she was having infantile spasms and seizures and got PET scans. We discovered that part of her brain was just missing in different areas, which caused the seizure disorder. And the seizure disorder caused all the other problems after that. So she had a grand mal seizure at four and lost her ability to swallow. We needed to have a G-tube put in, which causes all kinds of other problems down the road. You know, nutrition then is a struggle and things like that, exercise. Um, she developed terrible scoliosis to the point where she couldn't even really sit up. So we had to choose to have a very frightening surgery when she was 14 that we didn't know if she'd survive, but she actually thrived after that surgery. Um, so when people ask, you know, what's her condition, you most could liken it to cerebral palsy. We think of Jules, even though she's 31, as maybe a five-year-old um, in her understanding. She can understand a lot more, but uh, she can't verbally respond to us. And because she's a quad, she can't sign to us. And she's also legally blind, so it's not like she could look in a certain direction to give us a clue. So we developed our own way of communicating, and the people close to her, you know, like you, you spend enough time with Julia, you know what she means. And she means business. <laughs> and she's just this... Uh, you know, wonderful little being who finds joy and we find joy in too. So she has a lot of health problems. COVID is terrifying to us. She had 14 bouts of pneumonia. Um, it's not just my life. She's the center of. Um, my husband, her stepfather, has changed his career path to trying to help families like ours. And I see the delight that he gets from her, and that's so rewarding. And it's also been kind of a little test of who we, who I want close to us in our lives, you know. Her brother's friends grew up as little boys around her, and I think they're far more compassionate when they see someone in a wheelchair or maybe that needs assistance. Um, they're not intimidated or frightened. They go up and ask if they can help. They're, I've got stories of little boys ready to throw down when someone gave Julia the side eye at the promenade. You know, they'll take them down. So she's, she's not only a wonderful being in her own right, she really touches the lives of, of everyone who chooses to be in her circle. Yeah, I mean, I, and you and I have had this conversation before, you know. I mean, I truly, truly believe and have forever that Julia is, she was sent here as a gift to everyone who knows her, that she lives on a higher plane and she has taught us all so much about being better humans, you yeah. know, and for that, I'm forever grateful for her and for you for bringing her into my life and letting me be a part of your life and your family's life. It's a, she's just a special being. Yeah, she really, I feel very lucky that she picked me to be her mom. And I, I see other families, you know, where they're caretakers forever. You know, they've got grown children that 
or maybe mentally, physically, emotionally, like young children. And it is, it is taxing. But at the same time, the one lesson that I learned with Julia, once, once I learned it, everything became much easier, is this is her life. It's not something that happened to me. This is her body and her life. And I'm just here to try to make it as comfortable and pleasant as I can and, and make sure that she's happy and gets everything she needs. And I'm fortunate, I'm really fortunate that I'm in a position that um, I can navigate that. It's hard, but I don't have five other kids to look after or, you know, English is my first language. I can navigate these avenues. Can, I'd, I'd love to, to talk a little bit about the, the journey of, of you and, and Robbie and, and Robert and, and now uh, Andy your current husband about, you know, just it is, and most of it has fallen to you. Um, you have always been the primary caretaker, but I, you know, I've, I've known you, like you said, for 30 years and I've, I've seen you go through, uh, battles with insurance companies and, and, you know, and, and others, you know, can you just talk a little bit about that and, and, what advice you maybe have for somebody who might feel like they're, you know, they're, they're going through this? Well, first of all, it did fall to me, but I realized recently I took that. Like, I hoarded Julia in a way very early on. And, you know, when you have a child, you go through this natural separation, you know, after when two and they start potty training and they start learning language and they become their own person and aware that they're their own self. Julia and I have never separated. So it's almost like I have a newborn for 30 years and that bond just gets stronger and stronger every single day. So it's not easy for me to let others in to help her. She's still my baby that I want to hold all the time. Um, we've, we've just never, we've just never separated. So even, you know, she has a wonderful caregiver that comes and helps us and it's beautiful to see their friendship, but, um, it's still, I'm still in charge, <laughs> I'm still the, the mom, I'm still in charge. But as far as going through the process, you know, you have to go through, well, you don't have to do anything, but what really helped me, like I said, was realizing that this is her path and it's not something bad that happened to me although it was very hard at first because it's not what you expect in life right you think you're gonna have this idyllic life with a a new little daughter and you're told "Mm, we don't know if any of that's going to happen we don't even know how long she's going to live or how long she's going to be on the planet to be with you so it's a struggle to shift gears um And I think for me, what I did is I threw myself into learning about the disorder and basically the admin of it and what doctors she needed to see and who did she need to go to physical therapy with and what services are we entitled to and how do we get them. But then I also wanted a a career. I wanted to work because I could solve those problems and I, I got some esteem out there making none of that stuff was ever that important serious you know nothing at the job was as serious of what was going on at home so for me it was having an outlet outside of caretaking in my child and then feeling like I was in control of it I would question doctors I would ask for second opinions I never turned over her responsibility to a medical professional I took their advice 
and I, I listen to them, and I use critical reasoning. I am not a neurologist, but I had a bad feeling about the first neurologist, and so I asked for a second opinion and found out she was misdiagnosed. There's no way at 24 I would have known that. All I knew was I didn't feel like she was getting the care she deserved, and so I was going to get it for her. And so the only advice I could have for parents is you're in charge. Nobody else. You are. And it's your job to question and research. But again, don't, don't research on YouTube. <laughs> Re- <laughs> you know, research the papers that these doctors you've, you're seeing have written. Trust the university college um, uh, hospitals. Children's is a wonderful hospital. UCLA, USD, all these other place on the East Coast that I don't even know, just take control and don't turn that over thinking, well, the doctor said, well, the doctor has a million patients. You have one and be the best provider for that one patient. Or maybe you have two. (laughs) When you got the, I mean, what went through your mind when you got the diagnosis? Well, because they had never seen it before, it took two weeks for them to get the diagnosis and she was having infantile spasms and seizures, we knew that there was some sort of brain malfunction. Um, But nobody knew what that looked like. And because her disability or her disease is so varied, we just tried to remain hopeful. We really didn't know what this was going to look like. We knew there were gonna be issues, but I'll never forget one time after we saw a pediatric ophthalmologist at UCLA and he sat her dad and I down and very somberly he told us she'd never be able to drive and we just burst out laughing We're like can you picture Julia behind her that's gonna be bad I mean she couldn't feed herself we didn't expect her to be able to drive um, she might not ever be able to use playing cards we're like well she'd cheat that's awesome <laughs> you know so our expectations were sort of we'll take anything and um, there wasn't episode when she was 10 when she got pneumonia for the first time and she was so so sick and they didn't think she was gonna get better and I told her you know you can't leave now I'm not ready and your brother won't remember you he's too little you have to stay and um and she got better and I made a conscious decision at that time that physical therapy is important for her health so yes she's going to do that even though she doesn't like it but I have to have realistic expectations she doesn't need occupational therapy because she's not going to speak and she's not going to be able to swallow. So let the things go that she's just not going to be able to do, and that's going to be okay. Make it pleasant for her to be here. Um, and sort of that's what I did. So our reaction at the time was just sort of, we don't know. It was Of course, I was sad. Her father had a much more difficult time, I think, with it because... I threw myself into trying to solve it, and I think he was sort of just sad about all the things that we expected that weren't going to happen. But now, I don't really think about that much. Is that zero? Yeah. Do you think that maybe with Robert, he he felt like he could be sad simply because he felt you were in charge, you had it under control? control? Um, no, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Don't get me wrong, I always said too, but yeah. no, I, I think I, it's I just different coping. Yeah, I, no, I, I think it's just different coping styles. Yeah, okay. 
Yeah, I mean, you definitely had that, you know, it, you know, they talk about fight or flight. I mean, you definitely had the fight. You were, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, as a, as a witness, um, you know, I mean, I watched you and I have watched you and continue to watch you go above and beyond in so many ways that I, I, I wonder if, how many other parents or caregivers would would go? I mean, you. you I would like to think of, all of them. <laughs> I yeah. would like to think that's what you do as a parent. You know. But again, I would like to say too, it's not. It's not just me. You know, uh, her caregiver that she currently is with us is amazing, and you know, we had another caregiver for almost fifteen years that looked after her, yeah. like her own. Her stepdad adores her and would do anything for her. You know, she's she's got a circle around her. It's it's not just me. I appreciate what you're saying. And yes, I'm the one that's calling the shots with the doctors and the medical treatments and all of that. But if I didn't have the help of all those people that love her so much, it wouldn't be as pleasurable, I guess. Right. And and I and I, and I do understand. You know that the other helpers. In, in your life and Julia's life, you know, they, they allow you to, to breathe, if you yeah, will. Respite, you know? to get out for a hike, to yeah. do those things, yeah. But, but you are the captain, <laughs> you, know, you know, and you have, you have, uh, you know, wielded this ship of care very aptly, you know, and. Well, thank you. You know, I, I, I you know, I know that. I've seen the battles sometimes with insurance companies over oh. silly things that you've had to repeat year after year or. Can I tell you a story about that one that happened yesterday? Yes. So, you know, there's several services that I try to uh, navigate through. She can get different services through different agencies. And the agency that provides her diapers and incontinent supplies at age 31 needs a yearly letter of denial from our insurance carrier saying we don't cover this so then they'll pick it up so yesterday we were on an hour-long call with someone because they said well you don't have authorization to speak for julia put her on the phone and we had to explain she doesn't speak and i had to say look at her chart like you've got all of her medical records (laughs) i said she's a 31 year old wearing i'm trying to get diapers clearly there's an issue anyway so that went on for a long time and then it was but it took so long just to get a letter from them saying, we don't cover this. It's an hour out of my work day, basically, arguing with someone. And finally, we got through. But honestly, I think the reason she ended up ultimately helping us, because she said her brother was disabled and lived with her parents. So she was just reading off a script that the insurance company gives them. Their goal is not to help. It's to to, um, frustrate. Anyway, but yes. That was just a funny thing that happened yesterday. And we were like, oh, my gosh, that was so difficult. Right. You know, and, and, you know, and there are parents, you know, that are caregivers that may not have an hour sometimes because they've got, you know, three or four other kids or and a, and a job that requires so much time. Or maybe they have two jobs just to pay the bills. A hundred percent. There are some of these agencies where I know what they do. They keep you on hold for 59 minutes and then pick up at, you know, 60, 60 minutes. Because most people have an hour-long lunch hour, 
And if I were a bank teller or worked retail or something like that, I don't, I can't be on hold while I'm working at my regular job, you know, just listening. Yeah. So I feel for those families. Me too. Um, I just want to share a funny story, and I've shared this with you before, because um, you, you had mentioned that Julia doesn't speak. Yeah. And I remember when we were at a friend of a friend's beach house, oh God, it had to be 15, 16 years ago. In Malibu? Yes. Okay. And you and, uh, and, and everybody else, there was, you know what? four or five of us there, and everybody was on the beach, and I was up on the balcony overlooking the beach with Julia. And you guys were down there playing, and Julia said fairly clearly, (laughs) Mom. And I think she may have said it twice. You know, and it was like, oh, oh, what do I do? And I remember hours later, we're sitting at the dinner table, and I had been sweating for hours like, Julia doesn't speak. Um, I can't, like it's not fair that I'm the one who hears her say "mom," <laughs> and you did not get to hear that. And I just remembered, like, See? oh, what do I do? I say anything? Do I not? Do I say anything? Do I not? And I remember I said it, and you said that she had said it once or twice before. Yeah, there's a handful of times, and sometimes I'll be in the living room, and she'll call my name, she'll call mom, and Andy and I will look at each other, and I just run back there because I want to reinforce. Yeah. If you call me, I will come. Yeah. So she she can do it occasionally. Um, no, I know that's a. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like. Well, see, that that's part of the other other sad side of the caregiver is I'm afraid to be away from her sometimes because. If she calls me or needs me, yeah. you know, it goes back to what I was saying about never separating, which is why it's hard for me to go away for a few days. But I so desperately need it because I'm tired. Yeah. She gets up multiple times during the night. And, um, I, you know, even when we do go away for a night or two, I don't sleep through the night because my brain's so wired to getting up. Yeah, to, to so, have one ear open all night long yeah. to listen for her. Exactly. Exactly. I can never mind that. This is probably not appropriate for the podcast. The other night, I heard her go to the bathroom, and it was so explosive. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that was crazy. It sounded like someone turned a fire hose on. <laughs> it was the craziest. Oh, we've all been there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's. I want to talk about, you know, you had mentioned earlier that, you know, she loves music. Um, what is what are some of her favorite songs or musicians? Well, currently it's her stepfather. He'll come in and play the guitar for her, and she just gets ready to jump out of the bed. She loves live music. Yeah. Um, you know, I always played for her kind of what I liked. Like, uh, but she she had a tendency to gravitate towards really deep low voices, like Lou Rawls, Bill Withers. Something funky. Big Janet Jackson fan. She just loves her some Lionel Richie. Um, oh, what's her name? Um, Aretha Franklin. Soulful. She likes things that are really soulful. But she will also rock out the LCD sound system if we're, you know, coming around. <laughs> I remember we played for her. I'm like, I can't believe I never played Zeppelin for her before. And when I did, she just went crazy. 
So she just loves good music. The caveat there is she also loves the Disney power ballads, uh-huh. which I am not a fan of. <laughs> she also loves some Peebo Bryson. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, if she loves if she loves the Disney Power Ballads, what does she think of Whitney Houston's version of "I Will Always Love You"? She would love it because it's Whitney. Yeah, you know, I I try to avoid those personally, <laughs> but I will play them for her. I have we have settled on like the Pandora Commodore station when we're on the car because we can both we can both dig Lionel and all things that sound like Lionel, but um, it, her taste is eclectic to be sure she also loves um i've been trying to get her into the beatles so we just listened to with the disney thing that came out oh yeah um get back and she loves it yeah so we've yeah. been singing a lot of maxwell silver hammer and polythene pam oh there's a, a really great jazz version of get back really yeah it's by um marcus miller okay and it's off the album Tales. Marcus Miller Tales. Yeah, I'm and it's the last down. song on the album. It's just an instrumental, and he's cut into it his his son. Uh, a, there's a just a tiny bit of his son in there, and then and and Michael Jackson. Um, and it's but it's like it's just it's just them making sounds. Okay. You'll, well, I'll and, check and it I out. didn't. And I if Marcus Miller heard me describe that he would just probably cringe i probably did a terrible <laughs> job but uh check it out out that's one of my favorite albums of all time by the way oh yeah have you been watching the thing on disney uh-uh. the peter jackson documentary no i want to though i watched it over the holidays because uh you know jules and i were here by ourselves so i just like folded laundry and cleaned the house with that on and then you find yourself just getting because it's just their conversations and it's, I don't know how many hours it was, but I got really sucked in. I can't wait for the new one. I think it comes out tonight. Yeah. I, yeah. I want to see, I want to see that. And I want to see just the, uh, I guess it's Get Back is what it's called. The, not the documentary, but the, um, the concert on the roof. Oh, right. I haven't seen the whole thing. They play a little bit of it at the end of the yeah. first segment, but I haven't seen the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. I want yeah, like to too. see that concert. Me too. Yeah. I wasn't. A big Beatles fan growing up. I was a... White Album. I have a lot of respect for them. Yeah. And I have to say, uh, Harrison is probably my favorite. Oh, for sure. He's mine, too. Absolutely. I'm with you on that one. Did you watch the Harrison documentary? I did. Oh, gosh. That was good. Yeah. So... Yeah. No, I... I, um, We played the Beatles out, the White Album at Vic's house. I don't know. It reminds me of Christmas. That one's my favorite. So... As we as we begin to wrap this up, you know, I just kind of want to talk a little bit more uh, just about uh, the celebration of of all of the friends. You know, one of the things I I think about is Jules' birthdays. <laughs> we have good ones, and they have been some really wonderful birthdays. They have, you know, where so many people come together. There's it always seems like there's live music. Well, we did, I made a very big point. Like, for 16th, we had a big tea. It was a fancy tea party. I think that was just ladies. And then 18, we had live music and a, like, a kegger. And then yeah, 21, we had there. a fancy cocktail party. I was there. Yeah, <laughs> you were there for them. I, I was at most. I wasn't at the tea party, but yeah. Yeah, I think that was just ladies. And then, you know, for 30th, you were, you were 
there virtually. We had to do it by Zoom because I was planning on doing a big party. But, um, and she loves them. You know, yeah. we don't take Jules out much because at some point I realized taking her places was for me. It was my benefit. I wanted to take my girl with me. But she'd yeah. rather be at home with her comfortable surroundings, right? So I had to let go a little bit about that. But for some reason, she will rally for a party at the house. Like, I guess because she, well, she's comfortable. So she knows everyone. It's always people that she knows. Yeah. So. And, she, yeah, and she, she loved, I think she probably loves the, you know, having everybody she likes and loves around her. Yeah. But, you know, and all the attentions on her. She's and... a little spoiled. She wants them to come to her. <laughs> Who can blame her? You know, they no. used to, uh, Soraya, her old teacher, they nicknamed her the princess because <laughs> <laughs> if I came in the room and she was in a piece of equipment or something and uncomfortable, I'm like, take her down. She doesn't like it. She doesn't have to do it. <laughs> she had the best of everything. So I'm like, not my girl. Mm-mm. <laughs> yeah. I'm mama's home. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But and it's also uh, caregiving in the time of COVID has been super difficult because your circle gets super small, super fast. You know. Yeah. And well, we had more. Had to. Yeah. Well, we had more than one caregiver when it came out, but we could only, you know, the caregiver that chose to stay with us had to give up her other job. You know, yeah. being Julia's caregiver is not, you know, lucrative. Um. And they have to make sacrifices. They can't be around their family if their family isn't super careful, if they're not comfortable right. or whatever. So that's a big deal. Um, my own family has chosen not to get vaccinated, so they don't get to come around. They aren't, we will never see them with that kind. Yeah. And I can't trust that they would take Julia's best interest to heart. So it's right. super isolating so you take an already isolating situation and then throw covid on it for three years yeah but you know who loves covid it's jules (laughs) because i'm home all the time we're here together all the time all of us yeah (laughs) yeah my my i don't have kids but my dogs love that i'm home all the time they exactly if if I had if I ever have to go back into an office full time, like outside the home, they are not going to be happy. I don't think I could. I, no, I'd be too. Luckily, I can do my job from home, but I, I don't think I'd ever take another job where I'd be away from her full time. Just because she, when I saw how much happier she was just to have me in the house, I may not be the one doing the care at the moment, but I, I'm. She can hear me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm totally spoiled because of COVID to not get in the traffic. <laughs> I know. And, and and to be able to say no, I don't. You know, to to not make plans with people and to just stay in, or you know, yeah, or much simpler plans. You know, Omicron B. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> but it is terrifying, though. I mean, it's not just Jules. I had to have surgery in the middle of all of that. So. You know, Andy said, I had to worry about not one, but two of you dying if you got COVID. So yeah. It's just, yeah. it's the, the pressure is on, I'll tell you that. Yeah. When, yeah, when the caregiver needs a caregiver. Yeah. And when, you know, our caregiver has to make big sacrifices in her own life, you know, and that's something that you can appreciate and you can try to give, you know, a little Christmas bonus here or there. But there's no real way to thank someone that makes sacrifices 
like our caregiver has made to be a part of Julia's life and our lives. Like there's nothing, you know. Yeah. I, I will say to that, I, I if they make that choice, I, I think it's it's something they want. It's a choice they want to make. I, I hear what you're saying. I, or at least those in, I think, in, in your circle, I think. I, I hope so. It's, it's very much appreciated. I'll say that. Yeah. You know. I mean, who wouldn't choose to be around Julia all the time? Oh, I know. Well, at four in the morning when she's busting out rippers. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) She'd be, no, I don't think she'd care that I would talk about it. But you know what? Would you have it any other way? No, no. And I could. I mean, the doctor even had a conversation with me about, do you want to put a colostomy on her so you don't have to be changing diapers anymore? And I'm like, well, what's best for her health? Well, not doing that. I'm like, well, then we're not doing that. Like, that's right. me sleeping through the night is not worth giving her just one more reason to get an infection or to get sick or something. Like, forget it. Yeah, she didn't want that. No. So, all right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with me and with anyone who might hear this. I think anyone who hears this who is a caregiver will will certainly benefit from from your story. Well, thanks for inviting me, Cap. And I said it before and I'll say it again. I would only do it for you. Yeah, I know. I love you. (laughs) I love you. All right. Thank you. Bye. This extended interview was produced as part of a podcast on family caregiving. For more information, please visit our website, hearmenowpodcast.org.